this is the legal disclaimer where I tell you that the views, thoughts and opinions shared on this podcast belong solely to our guests and hosts and not necessarily Brady or Brady's affiliates. Please note, this podcast contains discussions of violence that some people may find disturbing. It's okay. We find it disturbing, too. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Red, Blue, and Brady. I'm one of your hosts, JJ. And I'm your other host, Kelly. And I'm so excited in this episode that we got to chat with the great Courtney Hunter of the Crisis Text Line. Now, we're going to talk with Courtney all about the amazing services that the Crisis Text Line provides. But I, I don't know about you, Kelly, but I was just blown away by the information that we learned, not just about sort of suicidality and folks in crisis with Courtney, uh, but just sort of the importance of credible messengers and appropriate messaging more broadly. Yeah. And I think one of the things that listeners will come to see in our conversation is just how thoughtful and thorough the crisis line is about making sure that they have thought about the individuals that they're speaking to and how to keep them safe, how to help them and how to protect their privacy. And it's just so apparent that they have really, really, really thought about all of that in making the service accessible. Hi, my name is Courtney Gallo Hunter. I'm the she, her pronouns, and I'm the vice president of public policy with Crisis Text Line. Nice to be here today. We're so happy to have you. And I wonder, right off the bat, can you tell us a little bit about Crisis Text Line? Yeah, absolutely. So we are a national nonprofit organization that provides 24-7 free mental health support via text. So we're also crisis intervention and and mental health support. Uh, We are founded in 2013. And we take conversations from anyone who texts in to 741-741. And we see anything from, you know, 13-year-old whose crisis is their homework to active suicidal ideation and kind of everything in between. So we are powered by wonderful, incredible group of volunteer crisis counselors who support all of these conversations on our on our platform and also crisis text line staff who are, you know, mental health professionals and and help oversee conversations. So why is it important that the line is available both as a chat function and texting. Yeah. So, you know, anyone can text us at 741-741 or via WhatsApp in English or in Spanish or via chat. And it's really important that we have both of those uh, forms of accessibility just so we have greater access and that people can find us when they need us. You know, the the one thing that we don't want to have happen is uh, for it to be hard for someone to find support Uh, when they are in a crisis. So we try and make it as seamless as possible and just give people, you know, different options. WhatsApp has been really, really helpful. You know, it was particularly in rural areas with less, um, you know, internet availability, people that are just using Wi-Fi versus like having a, a, you know, phone service like Verizon or AT&T. So having different availability and different accessibility is really important just to meet people where they are. Kind of digging into that accessibility angle too, I know that one of the things that is sort of new for all of y'all is you offer bilingual services. And that I think is is huge. So I wonder if we can dig into that for a little bit. When did that happen? Why is that important? 
Yeah, totally. So thank you for for asking that. We started our Spanish-speaking service about a year ago, so in late 2021. And we've seen about 13,000 conversations so far in Spanish. And uh, we very intentionally set up this service as a bilingual service that is not translational. We have bilingual volunteer crisis counselors and bilingual uh, mental health professionals on our platform. So in addition to our 30-hour volunteer uh, training that uh, our crisis counselors take online. The bilingual volunteers and mental health professionals have to go through additional language proficiency testing to ensure that they can handle those conversations. And why it's so important that we have uh, Spanish-speaking service, uh, you know, in, in large part is because we're the second largest Spanish-speaking country next to Mexico. So we have a huge need here in this country for not translational services, but actual bilingual services that are meeting people where they are. There's only about 5.5% of psychologists in the U.S. speak Spanish. So we know that there's a huge access gap here in the Latinx community. And we know that rates uh, for suicide and also mental health, um, mental health needs in the Latinx community are increasing. So we know that we have an unmet need. um, And we really just do not have the capacity. So we can't do it alone. Anybody who's listening, I encourage, you know, uh, creating a a service like this, because there's just such a tremendous need in the Latinx community to to really meet people where they are. And really important that it's done intentionally in a way that is meeting the needs of communities and is not just translational Google Translate, which could could actually do harm. I wonder if you could explain for our listeners a little bit why that's, you know, why simply running something through like a Google chatbot isn't sufficient in a crisis situation in particular. Yeah, well, you know, these are really complex needs, right? And um, we're dealing with emotions and not, you know, customer service, right? And so uh, when you're dealing with people's feelings and emotions, things like if somebody says, you know, uh, yes, I can hear you, or that could be translated as I'm hearing voices, right? Which could mean that oh. somebody's hallucinating. So like, that's just one example. But point being that, you know, things in writing don't actually always translate accurately in, in one's language. So I am not an expert in this field, but uh, I've learned a couple of things here and there. And what I've learned is that uh, that could actually do harm and that it's really important to, to meet people where they are to understand the different nuances and also the way that people talk about things just conversationally, right? Like it's not different cultures and different languages have different meanings in, and they have different phrases and ways that they say things. So it's important that we're actually meeting those needs of, of communities by having people that are in those communities help. Thank you for laying that out. That is so fascinating and also so incredibly important. And I'm so grateful that you kind of explained how some, you know, an effort to help may be hurtful because I think it's really important. And I'm wondering when people reach out, who exactly do they speak to? Yeah. So we have uh, trained 55,000 volunteer crisis counselors across the country. And so those are the the individuals that are responding to all of the texts that come into our crisis text line. And so when you text in, 
in, you will say, you'll text in whatever you want to text in. And we'll say, here are our terms of service. And then we'll ask you, what's your crisis? And it can be, as I mentioned before, like anything from a 13-year-old who's their crisis is their homework, or they failed a math test, and they don't know how to tell their mom, to eating disorders, to bullying, to self-harm, to active suicidal ideation. And uh, what our trained counselors will do on the other end is really try and identify what's going on, identify the crisis, build rapport, and then really try and de-escalate the situation and also help the, the texter uh, problem solve collaboratively and find some coping skills and coping mechanisms that they can take away from from the conversation. So to to answer your question, you know we have this robust network of volunteer crisis counselors who can log into their computer and take conversations at any time that works for them, which is really like such a cool volunteer opportunity too, because you can volunteer from your couch and really help people and have this direct impact um, on people's lives. You know, loneliness has been such a pervasive theme throughout the pandemic and wherever we are in the pandemic now, still, um, our lives have changed drastically. And there's a lot of people suffering who just want to know, you know, that somebody else is out there. And, you know, our volunteers can can really provide that service in a meaningful way. That being said, we do have paid mental health professionals who are overseeing all conversations um, that are that are taken on our crisis text line. So that if, you know, the volunteer ever needs additional support, um, we risk assess every single texter for suicide. So if we do, you know, um, have to perform an emergency intervention, the the supervisor, the, the paid staff member who's a professional is handling that and not the volunteer because it's really, you know, sensitive um, and requires sort of that extra level of, of expertise. That being said, our volunteers are incredible and and really can handle, you know, most, most if not all conversations and actively safety plan with the texter if, if that's... You you know, if that's needed. Wow. I mean, that's pretty incredible. And I just want to follow up on something because it seems really intentional that it's a crisis line. And I'm wondering, you know, what is sort of gained by specifically calling it a crisis line? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the majority of our texters are under the age of 25. Half of our texters are under the age of 18. So we know that when we're dealing with teens and young adults, that there can be, you know, catastrophizing, right? Something happens in your life and, you, you know, your boyfriend breaks up with you, your mom gets divorced, whatever it may be, that might feel like a huge crisis in the moment. And it might be. And so what we say is, if it's a crisis to you, it's a crisis to us. And it doesn't have to mean in that moment that you're thinking of suicide. You might be, but you know, it could just be that, you know, that will, it will escalate, right? If you don't get help and support to deal with these things early on in your, in your young adult life that are really causing you stress and anxiety and, and depression. And we know that I really like to think of us as, you know, kind of early intervention and prevention in a lot of ways, because, you know, we know that the sooner we intervene, we know that the sooner somebody reaches out for support, whatever behavioral health issue it might be, that the odds are the outcomes are better um, in terms of getting you know support treatment and and recovery and so we want to arm young people with the coping skills with the problem solving skills with sort of those tools in the toolbox to help them when their next crisis happens because it will yeah I know most people have issues with 
their own mental health or they know someone, right? And they're going through this. And, you know, like many people in this field, I had that personal experience as a young person. You know, my my sister has a mental illness and, you know, I grew up with it. And it wasn't something um, that at the time, you know, we didn't have cell phones. There was no crisis text line. Like nobody knew what was going on with her, right? And And I wish she had, I wish she had this as a resource then. And I just... I just hope that more young people reach out when they're when they're in pain. So just wanted to share that because I think, you know, this this resonates, this issue resonates with a lot of people, you know, whether it's themselves or, you know, someone in their lives. I love that it's almost in some ways like a phone a friend line, you yeah. know, like if, if you don't have maybe someone who you feel you can call with a help, I'm crying in the bathroom at 2 a.m. moment that this line is here for you for that. With the added benefit of then, if you need, a professional is right there on top of it. Totally, totally. And, you know, 53% of our volunteer crisis counselors are between the ages of 18 to 24. So they are also Generation Z. And it's a lot of this Gen Z helping Gen Z. Like, they know how hard it is to be a young person right now. All of the struggles that they're facing, every everything that they've kind of been collided with, you know, through COVID and everything else, all the trauma and tumultuous times that we live in, right? And kind of growing up in that. And they know how to best, you know, support their own generation in a lot of ways. So that gives me a lot of hope. Well, and I think that that takes us really brilliantly to there's so many different topics that the crisis text line offers like kind of specific guided assistance with. And one of those is on gun violence. And so I'm wondering how gun violence got included as kind of a topic of focus, like eating disorders, like, like the coronavirus pandemic, like how how did that get labeled as a as an area of, you know, necessity? Yeah, well, a couple of things, you know, suicide, while we are a crisis intervention line and also mental health support, we are also a suicide, you know, uh, text line and, and we do risk assess for suicide. And so the highest, you know, lethal means, um, the most lethal modality for suicide is is guns and gun violence. And because of that, we we have to acknowledge, you know, the intersectionality um, between gun ownership, availability, accessibility, and the risks of of suicide. It's something that we deal with on the platform every day in terms of when we risk assess, we're asking, you know, if there are means in the house, whether that's a gun, whether that's, you know, a bottle of pills, whether that's sodium nitrate, whatever it might be. And so it's really important that our crisis counselors and also our mental health professionals are equipped with all of the information um, to be able to handle those conversations, knowing that guns are just the most most lethal means out there. And, and we know that just access to a gun in the home increases the risk of death by suicide by 300%. So that's pretty significant. And we know that these incidences of violence, of gun violence, are happening more frequently in our society. And as a result, this is triggering a lot of trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other feelings of anxiety and stress, particularly uh, amongst young people who, many of whom have either been born witness to a mass casualty event or, you know, a school shooting, God forbid, um, in mm-hmm. many of these, you know, cases like Uvalde and, you know, other school shootings that we've seen. So they are really sort of on the front lines of of this issue in a lot of ways. And so we 
we have to address that too, because it can be really, really triggering for those that are around all of this trauma and, and gun violence. So, you know, with that, I think we cover a bunch of different issues. Like you discussed eating disorders, you named a couple of others like bullying and self-harm. And what I always like to think about is that suicide does not happen in a vacuum. There are all these other issues that can be happening. And and some of them you don't even know, right? You might not even be conscious Mm -hmm. to the fact that they're affecting your your own mental state or that of a friend or a family member. And that's why we exist at Crisis Text Line to talk about the underlying anxiety that might be manifesting this eating disorder, right? This just ex- extreme form of stress and anxiety and not not knowing how to cope healthily in a healthy way with that. So because of that reason, you know, we have tip sheets and resources on our platform that our volunteers can access and and share back with texters. And also we need to make sure that we're equipping our volunteers and our staff with all of the support and resources for their own mental health so that when they're taking conversations on the platform and someone's talking about a mass casualty event or a school shooting that you know they're they're not triggered right and so after every conversation on our platform volunteers take a, a post conversation survey and we ask them are you okay after this conversation before they can go and take another text from a texter. That's amazing because I think, yeah, age of anxiety is definitely sort of what we live in. And as an elder millennial, but a card-carrying member of team, chronically anxious. (laughs) I can't imagine being a young person going through this while also growing up with things like lockdown drills and sort of this awareness of the inherent unsafe nature of the world that sort of adults have created for them. Because I was a non-neurotypical mess without it. So I can't imagine what kids are going through today. So I think it's amazing that then they're also being able to be kind of providers themselves through this text line, building this sort of community that's present. Yeah, you know, and they're digital natives in the mm. in the way that, you know, their parents are not or may, may not be. They've grown up with cell phones. They've grown up with Facebook and social media and you know, they understand, they understand not only how to utilize those things, but how they can be weaponized, um, you know, in schools with peers, um, how they can be forces for good or not, not for good, <laughs> for bad. Um, so they sort of understand that landscape digitally in a way that, you know, their elders don't. And I think that's why the crisis text line is so important because we are speaking to young people in their language. We are here for them, sort of by them. Well, and in in their method, too, because I'm presuming that particularly younger people, texting is more comfortable than having that phone conversation. I would just imagine, too, if you're living with roommates, if if you have a long commute, you know, this is a conversation you can have sitting on a couch and no one, you know, people could be sitting two feet away from you and doesn't need to know. Exactly. Exactly. And you can also have it, you mentioned, you know, in the bathroom at school, right? And we, we get a lot of texts right after the school hour. So from like two to four, right? So something that happened at school is upsetting. And, um, you know, a lot of talk about relationships, because that's a huge source of 
your your life, right? Like that's your whole life when you're a young person is like all of your friendships and your relationships and you know and how that stuff manifests in, in your life. So that's I, I just hope that I hope and I am happy to know, I think, but also continue to hope that we're there for people in their moments of need. Yeah, it's it's oddly heartening, I should say, that you get kind of a flood of messages after the hours because it means people are actually using it, which is amazing, even if they are in a crisis. And I'm wondering if someone contacts you and they're in a crisis and during the screening, you find out that they have access to a firearm. How does that go? Yeah. So we're going to, if, if we risk assess, we risk assess every texter. And when we're, we're doing that risk assessment, if we um, identify that they have lethal means and, and that might include a firearm, then we're going to actively safety plan with that texter. And what that might look like is, can you put the gun in the other room? Can you put it in a drawer for now while we're having this conversation? Can you flush those bottle of pills for me? Can you go um, into the next room and wake up your sister and talk to talk to that person? So we're going to actively safety plan. And that is just in the moment, trying to de-escalate the situation as best we can. And as best as our, our trained counselors and, and mental health professionals are able uh, to do that. You know, in about two to 3% of all conversations, we uh, do have an imminent risk situation. So it's still a very small percentage of, of all of our um, conversations. And in that, about 60% of the time in those two to three percentage of conversations, we're able to, to safety plan and de-escalate where we don't have to call in an emergency intervention. But if the texter won't safety plan with us and we have to save a life or the life of someone else, we are going to, you know, contact um, emergency services that might look like EMS, uh, might look like, you know, mobile crisis, safety, um, check, wellness check, um, or and or law enforcement, depending on whether or not uh, there is a firearm at the scene. So we are going to do our best in that moment to tell that public safety access point everything that's going on. This is a mental health crisis here's what we know about this texter, here's what they've told us um, so that we can keep, you know, them and everyone around them safe. I imagine, too, there could be even crisis situations of, you know, I feel threatened by a firearm that's in my home or that someone like in my community has, too, because as you pointed out, it doesn't have to just it doesn't have to be someone who's in who's experiencing suicidality that might be having kind of a moment of fear or concern. Yeah, you know, it really manifests a lot in our conversations and just this larger issue of trauma, anxiety, and stress um, mm -hmm. of everything that's happening in the world around people right now. It's a very stressful time to be alive. Let's just be honest. And <laughs> we all have emotions about that, right? And we're all being flooded just with constant information and, you know, news. And I sort of jest that when I wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, what's the damage report today? Like, let's read the damage report and assess what the damage is. <laughs> and, um, you know, imagine being a young person again in in that, you know, sort of reality is, is really challenging. So after a call is over... I know you mentioned that, that for volunteers, one of the things you do with them is check in on their mental health. 
make sure they're okay before they can take a next call. But I'm wondering if there are any other sort of standard things that happen after a call or sorry, I shouldn't say a call, a conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, hopefully during the conversation, we have de-escalated whatever crisis is, is going on for that person. And, you know, most of the time we're providing a resource back with the texter. So that could look like in the moment support and self-help, like a breathing gif from Calm or, um, you know, a, a worksheet on how to safety plan all the way to, you know, support and resources, other, you know, warm lines, looking for a therapist, whatever it might be. Um, we're often sharing a resource back with the texter. And I, I love that because unlike being on a phone call and having to write down like what somebody's recommending, it's right there on your phone and you can just look at it during the conversation and, you know, you can access it later. Um, if you feel like you need it, something, you know, often you can save and download, right. And all of our resources are are national and free. Um, so we have a whole team that uh, looks at the credibility of those and, and vets those resources that, that we give out. And in addition to that, um, after the conversation, if the texter wants to, they can fill out a post-conversation survey. But we're very intentional not to do this before they're connected to support. So in the beginning, it's what's your crisis? And based on what you say, then we're, we're connecting you to, to a counselor. And I shouldn't say on what you say, but just when you respond, then we're connecting you to, to a counselor. And, but if you do so choose afterward, you can fill out uh, a survey and, uh, about 23% of our texters do uh, fill out that optional survey, which, you know, asks you, do you feel like this conversation helped? And do you feel like, you know, hopefully you have coping mechanisms, right? Um, that's something that we hope to hope to look into and, and provide more of. So that's also where we're getting some of the demographic information that's self-reported. So we know that the majority of our texters uh, from this post-conversation survey self-identify as LGBTQ+. So it's over a little bit over 50%. We also know, you know, the age dem- demographics, as I mentioned. So 70% are under the age of 25. So we really know that we're in that that Gen Z segment. And we also know that we over-index for BIPOC, um, which is really important, um, I think, because traditionally, uh, you know, BIPOC has less access to mental health resources and and support. um, And we know that we need to do a better job there. So I'm very happy about that, but we need to go deeper and and do more. That's phenomenal, though, that there's that, that talk back. And I'm sure that even because it is a text line, the ability to even just like scroll back through the conversation and see like the affirmations and and the, like the tips and tricks given like that has to be incredibly helpful too to to have a record of the fact that like you felt seen and that somebody was there for you that's got to be nice to be able to like literally keep in your pocket i love that you said that and i hope that it's a comfort um but i do want people to know that we're completely anonymous we don't ask names you know like numbers. We don't save um, any of that data because it's not important to us. Like what's Mm. important is that you're getting help and support and we're meeting you in your moment of, of need. Um, And so that we also don't follow back up with texters. And this is something that, you know, some, some crisis lines do to see if they're actually helping people, which makes a lot of sense, but we take anonymity very seriously. And so if we are, you know, texting some, if someone was texting us and having a conversation and, um, 
you know, we end up texting them back. And let's say they're at the dinner table with their parents and their parents don't know that they identify as LGBTQ plus, right? Um, And they see this conversation. So we don't want to invade anybody's privacy. Like that's not, we can't be effective Mm -hmm. at helping people if, if they don't feel like this is anonymous and, and private, which it is. So completely confidential service. We also don't show up on phone bills, which I think is really important. So especially since we're, we reach a lot of young people, right? So they're probably not paying for their cell phones <laughs> and their parents are paying for them or they're on a family plan. And so we think it's really important that they have access to us and it's, it's free and confidential. And also in that post-conversation survey, approximately 60% of our texters tell us something, report telling us something that they've never told anyone else before. And so that means we are a safe space to share whatever's on your mind. And people need that. Well, that's, I was going to say that I, I assumed honestly that that's probably one of the reasons why like the WeChat function is so popular because if I say I'm in an intimate partner violence situation and I don't, you know, I want to have access to those resources and have a record, but I don't want it to show up in my text messages, you know, where that's probably actually really nice and comforting to folks that again, I've got this friend I can reach out to that I know is professional that I know I can trust, but I don't have to worry about say being outed even just for my anxiety, let alone, you know, some other safety concerns that might be the present. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's incredible how thorough everything is right down to the phone bill. And I'm wondering, you know, are there, what are some misconceptions that people might have about people who would text with the crisis? Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you hit on this before that, with the name crisis text line crisis is in the name. And so, um, you know, I think it's a bit of a misconception that like you can only text us if it's, you know, you're in a burning building, right. Or like theoretically, um, if you're in some, you know, active suicidal ideation or homicidal, you know, situation, whatever it may be. Um, and I think, you know, the misconception is that, what I stated before, if it's a crisis to you, it's a crisis to us. And that could be, I'm having a panic attack right now, or I am feeling really depressed and I don't know what to do. Um, to, you know, I lost my parent to COVID and, um, I, I just miss them every day and I don't know how to go on with my life. I mean, these are the kinds of conversations that, um, are really, are really authentic, right? And and that are happening. And we're really um, meeting people where they are in, in their moment of need. And it doesn't mean that you have to be actively thinking about suicide um, to reach out to us. No, and I, I think that that's huge. And if folks are listening to this like me and are like, okay, well, how do I get involved? How do I sign up? How can I, I have a two hour commute. How can I get engaged so I can sit on a train every day <laughs> and do this, right? How can how can they find you? How can they get engaged? Or if they need you all, how can they get access that way? Yeah. Well, first of all, first and foremost, if you need us, anyone can text 741-741 anytime. We're 24-7. We're free. We're mental health support. Um, and, you know, we're here for you in English and Spanish via text and also via WhatsApp. Um, so that's that's the first thing. And then, you know, the second thing is we have an ever-growing volunteer community. And it's one of the, um, I think, the simplest ways <laughs> to volunteer. It's really like robust, incredible training 
Um, It's a 30-hour self-paced online remote training, but you don't have to go anywhere um, to really feel like you're touching somebody else's life and that you're making a huge impact. You can do it, you know, wearing your fuzzy slippers and your pajama pants on the couch, as I often do. And, um, and really make a difference. And so we are always in the need of, of new volunteers and you can log on once you're trained and go through a background check. You can log on anytime that works for you, um, to volunteer and take a conversation. So I would hope that, um, you know, whoever's listening and is interested in that can go to crisistextline.org to, to find out more how to apply. Because I really do want to stress to our listeners, like, this is gun violence prevention work. Like, this yeah. is serving folks who are survivors of gun violence, but this is also preventing gun violence from from happening. So I'm so pleased that we got to have sit down and have a conversation together because so the overlap here is extraordinary. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and yeah, to your point, I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it is prevention because we're dealing with you know, hopefully because of our demographic and because of, you know, emotional distress and the connections between that and gun violence and the lethal means of suicide, like we are suicide prevention. This is suicide prevention, but it's also um, hopefully gun violence prevention, you know, to your point. So um, that that larger that larger aspect of of helping young people when they're in their moments of, you know, distress and hopefully getting getting to it and equipping young people with a coping mechanism so that it doesn't get to that point. That's the goal. Yeah, I think that is so amazing. And I love what you said about how this is something you can really touch someone's life from your couch and your cozy slippers um, at any time of day, which is, that's a level of flexibility you don't always see in anything, let alone something this powerful. So really amazing. So Kelly, I mean, I think it was it was very clear. We learned so much <laughs> from Courtney. I think our mouths were just a gape, a gop, a gape, just a gape. Our our mouths were open in in surprise <laughs> for the for most of of our interview, which is rare for us. I feel like normally we know stuff, but I I was just so surprised by the work that Crisis Text Line is doing. One of the things I think that that really gets to me is, you know, just how many young people are using the service. The fact that right when school lets out, there's this huge rush of folks coming in. On one hand, it's really sad, right, that that it's needed. But I'm so happy that when kids are reaching out, there is somebody there to, you know, grab their hand, metaphorically speaking, on the other end of the line. That's that's great. Yeah. I mean, you're not you're not exaggerating, JJ. I know people can't see us, but we really were agape <laughs> while talking. And one of the things that I not only take away from myself, but I really, really hope listeners took it away. So I'm just going to reiterate it is just how thorough the crisis text line is at protecting people who contact them. And I know how, or I can imagine, I should say, because I'm not a teenager anymore, but I can imagine how scary or um, intimidating it might be to reach out when you're in such a vulnerable time. And I just take away that the crisis text line is so thoughtful about protecting confidentiality, protecting privacy, making sure that they really are a safe space for people in crisis. And so I definitely will take that away. And I hope that listeners do too and take advantage if they need it. Hey, want to share with the podcast? Listeners can now get in touch with us here at Red, Blue and Brady via phone or text message. Simply call or text us at 480 
888-344-3452 with your thoughts, questions, concerns, ideas, cat pictures, whatever. Thanks for listening. As always, Brady's life-saving work in Congress, the courts, and communities across the country is made possible thanks to you. For more information on Brady or how to get involved in the fight against gun violence, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Get in touch with us at BradyUnited.org or on social at BradyBuzz. Be brave and remember, take action, not sides. 